Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Heights Christian Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Mark, and um, today's going to be um, a section of Scripture that a lot of people know about, but I thought we would uh, cover it anyway and look at it a different way. So um, we're going to be doing uh, Judges 7 today, most of Judges 7 uh, verses 1 through 24. So if you want to turn to your uh, your book or your, your Bible or your app or whatever, we want you to be at, at um, Judges 7. Uh, this week in our study, as we have read together as a church community, we've learned about Gideon. And we've learned that he was a man who was um, well, he was with a lot of doubt, and um, he needs to be encouraged by God several times to be the judge that he needs to be for the people of Israel who are undergoing oppression. By now, within Judges, we have discovered that there is a cycle. There's a cycle going on, and that cycle is... Uh, a judge will come, God will raise him up, there'll be some sort of oppression by some foreign government or uh, entity that is gone either from within or without the the land of Canaan, and uh, the, the people cry out to God, and he raises up a judge to be able to oust the um, oppressive community. And, um, but then as soon as that is done, as soon as the judge dies, then they go back to their old ways. So we're expecting a new, a new judge and it comes in the unlikely of all people, Gideon, who is just a simple man who doesn't think that he's the one that should be doing it. And so we, in chapter 6, we see the story of Gideon um, asking God for a sign. And he uses the fleece, and he does it twice because he's not sure if he got it right. And um, God shows him several ways that he indeed wants him to be the judge. And so we come to uh, chapter 7. And Gideon has called the men of Israel together to take on this horde, basically a huge group of Midianites and um, Canaanites that have invaded and taken everything from the Israelites, um, their cattle, their crops, um, a lot of their possessions, um, and so we, we see here in Judges 7, let's just read it because I firmly believe that Scripture is a much better teacher than I could ever be. So let's read a large portion of chapter 7 in the book of Judges and see what um, God has to say for us today. So here we go. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, early in the morning, 
Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they will say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will send them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, with your servant Parah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Parah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all other eastern peoples had settled into the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream. He was saying, a round loaf of barley came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gordian, Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted, 
a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Meholeth, near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Parah. Wow, what a story. I mean, this can only be God working because how in the world could a army, not even really an army, three companies of Israelites, 300 men, take on such a huge horde of peoples and dispatch them and end up chasing them to the border. A few things I want to point out here. First of all, Gideon was able to amass um, an army of about 32,000 men. And still, they're outnumbered about seven to one. And so this is already a, a victory that's going to be lost. But if perchance God was with them and God was to win, it was cause the Israelites to win, then the Israelites would be saying, yeah, it's because we're such great fighters. We we whooped them. So what God made sure that all the Israelites, including Gideon, would understand that it was actually God's supernatural intervention that he would achieve victory. And so in the law, it stipulates that those that are in getting ready for battle if they are afraid, they can go home. So that's exactly what Gideon does. He says, if you're afraid, you can go home. And of the 32,000, 22,000 said, yeah, I'm afraid. I'm going home. So two-thirds of Gideon's army that he's militia, that he has brought together, Already go home. There's only 10,000 left. Some would say those 10,000 were crazy. But of those 10,000, God still told Gideon, you have too many. Can you imagine Gideon's view? Like, <laughs> wait a minute, God. 10,000 only? And then God says, you still have too many. And so he, he does a test by having them drink water. In fact, I'm going to drink a little water right now. And I won't be lapping like a dog. Or even getting down on my knees here. I'll drink from the water bottle. Anyway, so, you know, some commentators I've read have said that this is 
that God chose the ones that were the most wary because they didn't get down on their knees. And so this was probably the best of the best. And I'm not sure I buy that, honestly. I think it was God was just, even if it had been the opposite way around, God chose the lesser of the group. And there was only 300. So you go from unlikely victory to impossible victory for the Israelites. They have 300 against thousands upon thousands. And so at this point, you know, they're in this place and uh, the place where they are staying are known as the spring of Harad. Well, Harad, the word Harad means trembling. You've got 300 people shaking in their boots and Gideon is supposed to lead them. But God does one more test for him. He says, sneak down to the camp and listen. So he takes his servant, his armor bearer, if you will, Parah, with him, and they go down and they hear a conversation. They hear a conversation. And a couple of things in this conversation. First, this dream that... Um, one Midianite is telling another that about this barley loaf rowing into the camp and causing the tent to overturn. The interpretation comes from somebody else, and he mentions Gideon by name. I'm not sure if Gideon even knew the Midianites even knew who he was. But the the Midianite, unnamed Midianite, that interprets the dream for his friend says, oh, this could be no other than the sword of Gideon. And when Gideon hears the interpretation, it says that he worshipped. The word there is is not, oh, thank you, God, because you're so great, God. This is, this is, Okay, those of you on the podcast, I'm literally laying on the ground with my face to the ground, laying prostrate, prostrate in worship. This floored Gideon. I didn't care where he was. He's out in the middle of the Midianite camp, and he is laying prostrate on the ground, worshiping the God of heaven and earth, Yahweh. I don't know how long he spent there, but he was overcome. So when he goes back up to the camp, he doesn't wait till the break of day to get up because he is now, for the first time, convinced that God is going to bring him and his men and the nation of Israel through in victory. And so... He says, hey, do like I do. And he grabs the torch, puts it with inside a jar, and he brings a trumpet. Where are all these trumpets come from? Well, this was a this is from all the thirty two thousand that were there before. They left all of their trumpets and all of their provisions. And probably the provisions were carried in the jars, and so the jars were used to hide the torches. And so 
Gideon tells them, do as I do. And so he surrounds the camp the best he can with the 300 in three groups, 100 each of the men. And so just picture that you've got, you've got a, you've got a, a trumpet in your left hand and you've got a torch and a jar in your right hand. I have a question for you. They're going into battle. Where's their sword? Where's their sword? I'm sorry, if I was going to battle, I'd like to have my sword in one of my hands. But their sword is probably hanging on a piece of leather on their side at best. Or they left it in the camp. Who knows? But you only have most people only have two hands to carry things. So at this point, there's no offensive weapon. I mean, I guess you could wave a torch around on somebody, but it's not really that effective. And so they blow the trumpets, they break open the jars, and there's an instant light from all the torches. And it causes panic. And God increases their panic. And not only are they scared of an invading army at this very moment, they turn on each other. And they're killing each other. The the company of 300 really don't have to do much other than watch the slaughter. So, amazing story. And of course, because of the, the beginning of victory there, then we see other tribes joining in the chase of the Midianites toward the border of Israel. God does an amazing dream through Gideon and 300 men to oust these invaders that are described as a horde of locusts. So, great story. Is this something for bedtime? Or does this have anything to do with 21st century Christians in America? So, let's, you know... um, the word sword. You notice that Gideon tells people for God. He tells the guys to yell. Okay? He says this. He says, Get up. The Lord has given the many night camp into your hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies. So watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Some mention of a sword here. But when the three companies blow their trumpets and smash their jars, they say, they don't say for the Lord and for Gideon. They say a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. A sword may have been on their mind because they didn't have a sword in their hand. But... The idea of sword is there. It's brought up. Even though Gideon told him not to say that, it was something else. So sword in the Bible, the word sword is mentioned 406 times. 
in the Bible. 373 times in the Old Testament, 33 times in the New Testament, 23 times just in Judges alone. So where else do we see sword? Well, let's look at the New Testament and see what it has to say. In Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, it says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flames, flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, in Paul's explaining for the being prepared and putting on the full armor of God, the offensive weapon, the one that does the work as an offense or rather than defense is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, says, For the word of God is alive and active. This is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So again, the word of God is in comparison to a sword. This one is a Double-edged sword. In Revelation 1.16, this is John's exclamation where he is told to write to various churches in, the, um, in Asia Minor. He says this, in his right hand, he's describing Jesus. He says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He's describing Jesus, and out of his mouth is coming a sword, because Jesus is the Word of God. That goes right in line with the rest of Scripture. And then in in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12-17, in the particular part where John is told to write to the church, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. It says, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Wow. You know, sometimes it just astounds me the way God moves in Scripture. You know, Gideon, it wasn't always called Gideon in chapter 7, verse 1 that we're talking about. It said, Jerubbaal, or those that contend with Baal. You know, Gideon was given a new name because he was the one who brought down his father's shrine and 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 bailed little shrine that he had in his house. He tore it down. And when the people come and say, we need must do something because this Baal shrine's been torn down, his father says, you don't think Baal can contend for himself? And so that is why Gideon, whose name was changed, to drew a Baal. And so Gideon, being Gideon, is given a new name because he is living in obedience to what God told him to do, even though he was scared, even though he was frightened. God continued to show Gideon that he was able to do what God asked him to do through God. So let me ask you guys, where's your sword? Where's your sword? Where do do you keep your word of God? Is it in your heart or on a mantle or somewhere else? We need to know that the Lord will fight for us if we would but trust him, if we would but follow what he wants us to do. And how do we know what God wants us to do? Through your sword through your word of God. We need to know the word of God. So many times we act on our own, we act as our own worst enemy because we don't take what's written in scripture to heart and live in obedience to doing that. Listen, I'm just as bad as anyone else. You know, the the Bible says very clearly there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. We have a tendency to do the wrong thing to trust on our own devices, to trust on our own, well, this is the way I feel we should do it. When in fact, God has given us instructions on how we should live. Sometimes we don't even need to pull out our sword to fight because God will fight for us. But we need to have our sword of the ready. And that is God's word. We've got to study it. We've got to know it. We need to look at it for the answers that we need must need in our life. Listen, guys, I love you. And I, I want what's best for you. But there's a time and a place when we must stand our ground Just like Paul says in Ephesians, we must stand firm 
and be able to have that shield of faith to extinguish the flames of the evil one and have our sword, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we need to use that sword, that double-edged sword, to penetrate our heart, to be ready. Listen, there's lots of times like, well, gosh, did you read your Bible this week? Well, sometimes they say, well, yeah, I read a few, but I'm not very consistent with it. Yeah, a lot of us aren't. But we need to be. We need to be disciplined in the area, in our lives, of making sure that God's Word gets into our heart, gets into our life, and not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. We've got to be, because if God's gospel is to get out into this world, God's people have got to be faithful to live out their lives as Christians and not look like the rest of the world, not act like just anybody else, because then if, if we're not any different than the rest of the world, why would anyone want to be part of our community? We must be separate. We must be distinct. We must take God's word as being what how we need to live. And I, there's not a time. Folks, there's not a time when I don't open up the word of God. And listen, I've read the word of God many times over. But I will open the word of God and I will go, huh, that's been in there this whole time? God continues to speak new things to me through his word. Stuff that maybe I haven't really put into my heart and he has to remind me. So how many times should we read the Bible? I don't know. How much time you got? Really, how, how much time do we have on this earth? We are in a preparation time and we need to be faithful to God in the little things. Because God's going to need us in the future for bigger things. We need to be able to have our sword at the ready. And that's knowing God's word in our heart. Not just cursory, not just... We, you know, in a, in a church this size... There's always going to be somebody that knows more of the Word of God than you do. And there's probably always going to be someone who knows the Bible less than you do. That's why we're a community, because we need to be coming alongside each other, mentoring each other, helping each other, steering each other in God's Word. This is one of the reasons why Jeremy and I are always teaching from the Word of God. Because that's the real teacher. And I pray to God that Jeremy and I, for the rest of our time as pastors, will be faithful to God's word. That's 
that's our desire, and it it always has been. And I think that's why Jeremy and I, as co-pastors, have worked so well together all of these years. So my folks, my peeps, if you will, my precious peeps, let me encourage you to be in God's Word daily, as often as you can. Dive into God's Word and not only read it, have it into your heart so that you can behave and act in such a way that you will bring God glory. Won't you pray with me? Father God, we come before you. We we thank you and praise you for all that you do. You are an amazing God. Where would we be without you? Lord God, we have battles coming, battles with which we need to stand, situations in life that we have no expectation how that would, how we got to where we are. But Lord, you knew it. You were there. Nothing surprises you, Lord. So, Father God, help help us to be prepared and ready to be the people of God that you need us to be in our spheres of influence, whether it be within our homes, whether it be within our friends, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Father God, help us to be the men, of, men of, and women of God who will stand up for you in your word. Father God, help us to carry our sword with us. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Lord, we we need you every day. And you have promised to us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? So thank you and praise you, Lord. Give us this week with which we will pursue following you, knowing your word. Guide us and direct us to bring you glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.